Good morning. Such a beautiful morning, such a rare treat, spring snow. So I thought, let's go out. But anytime people are dislodged from their expectations, all sorts of funny things happen. So many times, We've gone to the Jizo Memorial Garden and form half circle while we chant. Foolishly, I thought that would just happen. And then, where do we go? Which way should I turn? And then I go to the front door to walk in to get my things for Taisho. Locked! No one's around. So it's always great to do something that shakes us up, right? Maybe no, no Tay show today because I can't go in. And <laughs> it's fine. Just take another walk. Last weekend, I was at Austin Zen Center. As many of you know, I go there usually once a year to do session with... Uh, some most, mostly uh, Kushu's uh, Aikido black belts and uh, Seirin Barbara Cohn's Soto Zen Center, Sangha. So it's always a treat to be there and combine Sanghas and we do Rinzai style in terms of the schedule, pretty much what we do here. And then um, for meals, we do Soto style, since most of them are accustomed to Oryoki Soto bowls and ritual. So again, expectations have to be really just released, just get out of the way and just face what is in this moment. Wonderful. Stalwart, resolute, Zen practitioners that we are. Whatever comes, okay. Whatever we thought should come that didn't come, okay. Whatever comes that we didn't think should come, okay. Right? What could be more wonderful? Shaken loose from assumptions. This is what our life is all about. Always we are being shaken loose, like a bough of a tree with tons of snow just falling all over us. Around this time, Three years ago, our country began attacks on Iraq. And although in the newspapers we do 
occasionally hear about how many service people, American soldiers, have been killed. I think now something over 2,000, right? We rarely, rarely, rarely hear how many Iraqis have been killed. Does anyone know? At least 50,000. Hmm? At least 50,000. And probably much, much higher. One of the things that we often may feel very strongly, many, many emotions when we think about this, but one that we may feel quite strongly is a sense of helplessness. How do we stop this unilateral aggression. And of course, I won't get into politics, okay? This is not about politics. Of course, from one point of view, there is some reason we're there. From another, it's unconscionable that we're there. But putting that aside, we are there. We are here. Our country is perpetuating this continuing violence. We use the words here and there. But as you know from your practice, there is no such thing, right? here, there, here. And we are responsible. So this helplessness feeling arises from a fundamental belief that we are And of course, as separate individuals, we can't do a thing, right? As a being, an ego entity, a separated individuality, here we are, there they are. And so this helplessness arises because we think, Well, what can I do? Even if we impeach Bush, we've got Cheney. Bush is just a figurehead, as you probably have come to see. So what can we do? I know this sounds like politics. It's not politics. Rinzai said to his students, what ails you? You know what ails you? Lack of self-esteem. What is this self-esteem? 
Lack of confidence. What is lack of confidence? What is confidence? What is the root of confidence? Let's look at that word. What does con mean? Hmm? With. Fidence. What's that come from? Faithful. Hmm? Faithful. Faithful, or what else? Fidelity. Hmm? Fidelity. Fidelity. So, faith, right? So, confidence, a lack of confidence. We immediately take this confidence or self-esteem from the point of view of an ego entity, a separated individuality, right? The idea that we have a self that's separate. What do we... Self-esteem. How do I have self-esteem? And what happens when we look at the self that we're supposed to esteem is, ugh, she said. Look at the expression on her face. Fe, as my grandmother would say. Ugh, can't. Don't have any esteem for this self. And we don't often look at it, and maybe we don't look at it enough, as this problem of getting that self-nature is no nature. Self is all, right? All. Big self, capital S, is not separate from this disgusting small self that we have constructed. So when we have faith in, faith in self, nature, this is what self-esteem or confidence is all about. And how do we get it? Sounds good, right? How do we get it? Faith in mind, faith in Self-nature, faith in truth, faith in this reality, faith in snowflakes. So, of course, when we think self, no self-esteem, self, this terrible self that's always deficient and always making mistakes and always caught up in one form or another of obsession and addiction and whatever. You fill in the blanks. Always caught up in our own suffering. We think, this is my suffering. Something to hold on to, right? It's my suffering. Then, what? There's no Con, right? No confidence. The only con there is is the con game that we are perpetrating to try to shore up what we perceive as a self. Just the opposite of self-confidence, right? We get caught up in this con game of trying to present 
this empty husk that's long been outgrown, right? Long been outgrown. But we've come to identify it as the self. This shell, right? The shell that we have come to identify and therefore must reify and protect at all costs. This is a really funny thing that humans do. But when we see it clearly in our practice, this is what we're here to see. When we see it clearly, then rather than be overwhelmed by feelings like helplessness or yuckiness about the self that doesn't really exist, when we see it doesn't exist, it's just an old, outmoded thing. We can let go, goodbye. Let it get swept off. Then, then we can sit in this confident way, connected with, never separate from, being one with. Therefore, to have trust in the fact that what is going on so-called over there and what is going on over here is not separate. Therefore, we do have an effect. This practice that we call Zen is extremely powerful if we allow it to be. It's up to us. Here's where the choice lies. If we allow it to be, we really see this is powerful. I was reading a recent issue of Mountain Record, and their 25th anniversary Zen Mountain Monastery is this year, and they had a number of interesting essays. One of them was uh, an interview between one of their students and Robert Thurman, Some of you may remember when uh, we brought Robert Thurman here to give a talk at SU. Anybody? No? Oh, well. You have read his book, Inner Revolution, right? Anybody? (laughs) Anyway, Robert Thurman is a great Tibetologist who teaches at Columbia University and used to be a monk in Tibetan Buddhism. And as many of you know, he, uh, he wrote a wonderful introduction uh, for his translation of the Vimalakirti Sutra. And in this interview, he speaks about how uh, in the Vimalakirti Sutra, people are asking the Buddha about how you create the Buddha world, how you uh, make a world in which we aren't uh, going out and attacking another country, but rather trying to figure out ways of bringing happiness to people who have been suffering for many years under some dictator. How do we resolve that in a 
way that brings happiness instead of death. That would be nice, right? We look around, there are many regimes in the world. We could be doing something other than bombing them, right? This is possible. This is what our mind here can do. The power of our practice can do. Don't ever feel helpless, okay? The confidence that comes from your sitting. This is what changes suffering in the world to happiness. Well, anyway, so let me read this. So Thurman says, so then Shariputra, the wise elder Shariputra, thinks, well, that's all nice sounding, and this guy is supposed to be Buddha, so this should be Buddha land, but when I look around, it looks like it's filled with shit. This is what we were just saying a moment ago, right? The self, ugh. Shakyamuni, of course, reads his mind and asks, is it the fault of the sun and moon that those blind from birth do not see them? No, no, it's not. It's the fault of blind people. They have no eyes. They can't see, says Shariputra. Even so, Shariputra, you can't see the perfection of my Buddha land because you are blind to it. And then the Buddha puts his toe on the ground. I guess he makes some sort of prancing gesture. And then suddenly Shariputra and all the thousands of people in the audience all see the world as absolutely perfect. And they describe it as everything being made of jewel plasma. And they're in a jewel. They're in permanent samadhi. And it's just absolutely fantastic. And then the Buddha says, how's it look? And Shariputra says, oh, it's perfect. It's just great. And then the Buddha picks up his toe and it switches back to the way people habitually, ordinarily see it. Isn't this something you've already experienced in your practice? A moment of jazz. <sighs> Truly, no snowflake falls in an inappropriate place. And then our complicated minds jump back in. Home and shovel, or some such nonsense, right? That's true. So then this interviewer says, Well, then why is the world still such a mess if all we have to do is to see things differently? Why then is the world such a mess? Why are we bombing and invading other countries? And Robert Thurman says, on the surface of it, at the level of power, at the level of dominating governance everywhere, you have people wasting money, wasting life, wasting the planet. I mean, it's just incredible. And the people are ready to march by the tens of millions because they don't believe in this anymore. They don't believe that changing your mind can be possible. He says, why isn't it that we feel like we're all in the jewel Zen center forever. 
And why are we struggling around here having these asinine wars? 40 years I've been doing Buddhism. I've seen and I feel the consciousness of people being so much elevated compared to where it was 40 years ago in the 50s when I was a teenager. When you see a movie of people in the 50s, they look like wind-up toys. They look like completely unconscious humans. They're marching around, attending parades. People now are all battered and difficult, and there's weird things, and people are horrifyingly aware of everything. Wonderful. And then the interviewer asks him, so Buddhism is not a religion? What he's been saying. No, not primarily, Thurman says. The real essence of the experience of what we just heard about the Vimalakirti Sutra can happen in a Buddhist context because the real essence of it is not the blind faith or religious part of it, actually. The real essence is a deep contact with a different aspect of reality. The essence of that experience is a contact with the nirvanic nature of reality. That is what the essence of that experience actually is. Blind faith is the part where someone believes that it's done for me by Jesus. Or in Buddhism, it's done for me by Amida Buddha, or done for me by Tara, or done for me by Avalokiteshvara. The fact that it's done for you by someone within a conceptual structure is the incomplete part of it, actually. It's what holds the experience back from really being complete. We have some concept when something like the Buddha's toe meets the earth. Oh, that's what it depends on. No, it doesn't depend on that. It's not what can be done for you. Your own toe right now is where? Huh? Right there. Right there. Right on your mat. Has been all along. And then he says, you see, to be truly born again would be a person who is so saved and they're so at one with the graciousness of the universe that they don't care whether it's Jesus or Buddha or God or Muhammad or whatever. And they even perceive others who don't even know about Jesus or Buddha or God or Muhammad as also totally filled with grace. And they're totally tolerant of whatever they do. And they'd never say they're going to go to hell without their views. They would never do that. The blind faith part of it is complete dementia. This should be read by many people, shouldn't it? (laughs) And then he says, as I said, Buddhism is not primarily a religion because Buddha doesn't say, believe and you will be saved. Buddha says, understand and you will be saved. He says, you will need to meditate in order to understand. But first you have to learn. And then you have to critically reflect to get the doubt going. What's he mean by the doubt? Hmm? 
What's in in this context? Hmm? Great doubt in the way we normally see things, that someone else has to do it for us or that we're this little separated wretch. Yes, great doubt. Take, to quote Thurman again, take apart your immersion in the superficial, unreal reality of samsara. It's good advice. Can you remember this? (laughs) Take apart So far, so good? Take apart your immersion. All right? Take apart your immersion in the superficial, unreal reality of samsara. Take apart your immersion in the superficial, unreal reality of samsara means to have great doubt. And then, just like in the Diamond Sutra, it says this, right? And then, you will enter into supreme enlightenment. And Thurman says again, by your understanding, you will experience it because you will understand it. It's like a call to science. It's like an expression of faith by the Buddha in your intelligence, in human beings' intelligence. Okay, this is not blind faith. If you look, you will see. You will understand. So then the interviewer wants to know, how can this kind of revolution happen on a scale equal to our mass delusion? (laughs) I'm sure you too have been wondering such a thing. In other words, how can we get beyond our helplessness? How can we really trust, really have confidence that seeing and understanding will indeed have vast implications? Do you remember what the Buddha said, we are told, when he awakened? I and all beings together at once. When we see, when we understand this powerful experience is not limited, we are not a separate self, therefore, no limitation, right? No, oh, it stops here at Hoenji. No, only in Syracuse is there nirvana. Everywhere. So now to get back to this interview. So this question is asked. How about on a scale equal to our mass delusion? And Thurman says, now imagine if the Dharma were taught on network television. The interviewer says, what would that look like? Thurman says, it would look like the Matrix with less shooting. (laughs) and then he talks about you know PBS style pedagogy and you know that's uh, probably not going to go network because that's not going to be that interesting to people and then about how Buddhism spread popularly in Asia through the various tales of the Buddha's life 
And then he says something about uh, how the network dharma will just look like better TV, teaching better messages, showing, showing greater beauty rather than some commercial garbage. And then the interviewer says, but do you think it's a good idea for people to watch TV? (laughs) And then they have a little back and forth about that and how Thurman feels he's meditating when he watches TV. And the interviewer says, well, all I know is I feel more invigorated after meditation, but when I watch TV, I feel completely exhausted. And Thurman says, but that's because TV is a negative meditation. The commercials are meditations on dissatisfaction. (laughs) It's really interesting. It's really true. Meditations on dissatisfaction. You can't get along without a new car. You can't get along without this drug or without this or that. They're meditations to create dependency. They're addiction-creating meditations. These are meditations on the three poisons, and they are very powerful. Then he says, if the Enlightenment Party would run and win, it's <laughs> great, we wouldn't cancel television and have people go back to homespun. No, we would use these media. Imagine a billion minds linked up like the Lotus Sutra or the Avatamsaka Sutra. In the Avatamsaka Sutra, The Buddha gives a teaching, and beings come from many galaxies and universes in a sort of three-dimensional checkerboard and giant towers made of flower petals woven together of hundreds of stories and balconies. I'm trying to give you a flavor of the way Thurman presents things. He speaks much faster than that. (laughs) Then he says, remember Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? That's Dharma teaching. Remember, he keeps repeating the same day. Finally, he starts being a bodhisattva through that day, and then he gets out of that day. Otherwise, he doesn't. That's a Dharma teaching, but no mention of Buddhism. It doesn't need to mention Buddhism because there is no word for Buddhism in Buddhism. Buddha didn't say, I want you to be a Buddhist. He said, I want you to become enlightened. I want you to be free of your addictions. I want you to be happy. Because I'm happy. Because I've discovered what our true nature is here and now. And it's nirvana. That's what Buddha announced. This is nirvana. Not It's always going to be samsara. He said, this is nirvana. And everyone is going to notice. And the last thing I'll read that Thurman says is, don't externalize your thing. Change yourself. Change yourself. Just change yourself. You could live in a bad situation and you'll be so happy. You won't care. Once you get better, then, of course, change the situation. Change the samsara. A bodhisattva doesn't simply accept other people's samsara. So this is what we are doing here.
changing ourselves. So that, at the very same time, we are changing samsara. So that we know, when we get there, what to do. Turn left, turn right, stop. Walk, sit. And now let us offer the Metta Sutta to all those who are suffering. 